0: We're going to read verses 19 through 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. You're using a Red Pew Bible in front of you. It's page 981. Philippians 2.19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may... My two may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, has a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and my and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you have heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him, the Lord, with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What is a Christian? If you had to pick a term, a name to describe Christian, what would it be? A lot of people would say Christians are believers. Others would say Christians are followers, saints, disciples. That's quite actually a long list. I've asked that question to numerous people over time, and I've never, ever had one person say to me, to the answer to the question, what is a Christian? I've never had anyone say, well, they're slaves. I've never had anyone say that, slaves of Christ. And yet... When you look at a litany of people all throughout the pages of the New Testament, you'll find that it is very much more common for Christians to refer to themselves as slaves as you might think. The Apostle Paul does it in three, beginning of three of his epistles in Romans, Titus, and of course, Philippians, in which the one we write. In fact, Philippians is the only book of the New Testament that Paul wrote that ever has the only description of his ministry as being slave, Philippians is the only one. James introduces himself in his epistle by slave. So does Peter in 2 Peter. Jude does in the beginning of his short and brief document. Epaphras is called that in Colossians 1, 7 and 4. Tychicus, pastors. Paul refers to pastors as being slaves. Disciples call themselves slaves in Acts. Mary, the mother of Jesus, twice in Luke's Gospel, chapter one, in the Christmas story, when the angel appears to her, she calls herself a slave. So did Simeon in the temple when he held Jesus in his arms. So if we ask who are Christians who are slaves, let's ask another question, because they go hand in hand. Who is Jesus? And there are a lot of answers that go with that. You could say, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of man. We heard that tonight, son of God. And on and on it goes. But very few people I've ever asked, when you ask the identity of Jesus, I've never heard anyone say, well, he's a slave. But he was. He was much more than that. But he was certainly not less than that. And putting those two things together, I have a theory I wanted to share with you tonight and then develop it. And that is this, as Christians... We don't see ourselves as slaves because we don't see Jesus as a slave. I'm convinced that we are not like Christ to the degree that we don't know what Christ is like. Slave, all throughout the New Testament, at the beginning of documents are used otherwise, is an identity marker. It is who we are, and it's who we are because it was who he is. The people on the long list that I just gave you that at the beginning or in the epistles identify themselves as a slave of God or a slave of Christ seem to have an understanding and they have a grasp on how to live the Christian life that we in our age don't readily assent to. Namely, and that's this, let me say it this way, salvation, your salvation and mine, is not going from having a master to having no master. Salvation, as Scripture says in Romans chapter 6 and verses 15 verse 23 in particular, is going from having the wrong master to having the right one. Freedom in the Bible is not having no master. It is having the true master that your life was made to have. That's illustrated, if you want to hold your finger in Philippians and turn back to Acts 16. Because this is the place where the book of Acts records the very first time that Paul went to Philippi to establish this church. And he's going to illustrate that salvation is just that. Salvation is having a new master. There are three stories. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the church at Philippi was built on slave stories. The Bible says in chapter 16 and verse 17 that there was a little slave girl that was demon-possessed. She had two masters. She had physical masters, and they are represented in the ESV by the word owners, but it's the word kuriai, which means lord, master. So she had two masters, physical ones that used her abilities that were demon-possessed abilities for their own good and for their own gain. She had a spiritual master, and that's the one that frightens all of us, and she was possessed by a demon. And the Bible says that she was going around following, imagine Paul and Silas around the city as they tried to evangelize, and she kept announcing this and crying out loud. In other words, seemingly she was screaming it, that these are the servants, it says in ESV, of the Most High God, and the word is not servant, it is slave. So you have a slave girl who is promoting gospel slaves, Paul and Silas, and telling others that these are the slaves, the true slaves, because they have found the true Lord, the Lord who is the most high God. And one could almost get an evangelistic definition out of it, what evangelism is. It's one slave telling another slave how to find freedom. And that's exactly what was taking place in Philippi. There were people, all kinds of people, and you can see it in the three. There was the Philippian jailer, there was Lydia, there was a slave girl, young, older, male, female. It didn't matter who you are, the background of your life. Here's what's the common denominator. People are slaves, and they need a new master. And so you find all sprinkled through the text, the word saved. Uh, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? They are saying the way of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the jailer is told, and you will be saved. And how are you saved? Every single instance is this. Believe on the Lord. L-O-R-D. Lord. Believe on the Lord. What you need to do is change masters. Romans 6 would say, your master was sin and therefore you served unrighteousness. You need to have God change your heart so that you can serve righteousness and serve him. And that is what built the church at Philippi. Now in that context, in chapter 16 of Acts, there's an incident that takes place that will help us understand Paul's words in Philippians 2 in a few moments when we get there. Because of his healing the girl and casting out the demons, She could no longer have fortune-telling abilities. And the magistrate or the, the lords of her were very upset because they lost a the big financial income. And so they have them arrested and then they have them beaten with rods, which is awful because I've actually seen that take place in real life. Awful and then they were put in the stocks which is not, it's not it's a nice way of saying they are put in torturous positions in a prison cell to remain there all night now imagine how bruised and beaten up you were pain agony and then you're put in positions in the stocks that only increase that agony paul and silas find themselves in that condition but yet at the same night as slaves of the most high god see they expect that treatment because that's what they are they're slaves they're being treated like slaves. But here's the catch, because we've heard throughout this series, Philippi is a Roman colony, and the magistrates didn't even take the time, because the men were Jewish, to even th- consider the fact that there might be Roman citizens, and they were. If you, do, if you beat a Roman citizen and put them in prison without a trial, you could lose literally your head. So they, Paul, instead of saying, whoa, 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 don't be beaten on us, we're citizens. He doesn't tell them that. He doesn't use that right. He gives it up. And he doesn't use his right till after he's been imprisoned and beaten and tortured during the night. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he wants to show us what a slave is. He wants to show us the model that he wrote to us about in Philippians 2, five, the one who though being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be, or grasp it to be equal with God, but took on himself the form of a slave. He wants to show you, if you want to really be like Jesus and you want to be a slave, see, you've got to realize the mentality of a slave and you have to act like one. And one of the things that slaves do if they're slaves of Jesus is this, they give up their rights. They don't use them for self-advantage and gain. It's always a gospel issue when you're a slave of Jesus. And so Paul loses and voluntarily gives up his rights and doesn't use them to the end. Why? Because when he builds this church and years later, 10 years later, when he writes back to them in this letter, he can tell them, I want you to be a slave like Jesus is, just like I showed you. I want you to be able to give up your rights and your even your own well-being for the interest of others put it above yourself philippians 2 3 and 4 that's what it means to follow jesus and so in philippians chapter 1 1 we read the words paul and timothy slaves can i tell you nobody did that Nobody did that. Philippi was a city that had military retired people, high-up senators, people who were bigwigs, people that were the upper echelons of society. Slaves were the lowest of the low. Nobody aspired to it. If you were a slave, you were embarrassed and ashamed by it. It was a dishonor. Nobody would have claimed to be a slave. But in this text, not only does Paul and Timothy, his disciple, choose to use that as their title, The only time in all of his writings, it's the only way he describes himself in an introduction. But not only this, listen, have you ever wondered? He says, and to the bishops and deacons, the only epistle that ever mentions the people in authority and leadership that he is writing to. Why in the world would he do that? He is reminding them from the very first words of this text then I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put your interest above mine. Let me introduce myself here, and let me introduce you here. See, he's always demonstrating to them in big ways, in small ways, whether it's in prisons or in letters, this is what it looks like to really follow Jesus, to have his mindset. If you want to have the mindset of Jesus, you have to learn what it is to live out your Christian life like Jesus. And what you'll find in the two parts of Jesus's model master, of master story or model story in Paul's writings in 2, 5 through 8 is Jesus lived a slave's life. He took on the form of a slave. He was a slave, he never had citizenship, but he also died a slave's death on the cross. And what Paul does is making that the climax and center of his epistle in our passage builds around it based on that example that Paul gave the Philippians from the very first time that he saw them. He says, this is how people's lives change. They need new masters and they need to see That slavery, spiritual slavery that Jesus demonstrated for us in your life. And that's what he's telling the Philippians, and that's what he's telling to each and every one of us. Our text is preceded by chapter 2 and verse 12. Right after, and this is important because it's not an accident, right after 2, 5 through 11 of the model of Jesus as a slave and his life and death, the very first things he tells the Philippians in verse 12 is this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always circled it, obeyed. There are numerous New Testament words that are used to translate the word obedience. There is only one in this text, and it is only used twice. It is used of Jesus in chapter 2 and verse 8, and he became obedient. How far would he go? Would he be? Came obedient unto death, even a cross death. The only other time "hupaku'o" is used is in verse twelve, right after it. He says, you know what kind of slaves you've been up until this time? You have been, when I was there looking over you and watching over you, you obeyed. But I want to see how far you will take the slave mentality. I want to see how far and how long and to what extent you will become obedient. Because you've always obeyed like slaves do. You, you, you've already, and it means to listen under. It's a military turn. See, it's putting yourself under the authority of someone else. We would say, master. You've always allowed me to be the master. You've always let me tell you how to live like Jesus, and you've done that to a step, but now I'm not there anymore, and here's what I want to know. Will you do it when I'm not there? Will you do it when it's not easy, when you're, you're pushed to the limits, when you have to lose your rights, when you have to actually do the things like Jesus did when he lived his slave life? Will you do that? Another use of hubukuo or Obedience, and that is Jesus in Hebrews 5:8, where it says, "And even though he was a son, meaning not a slave, even though he was a son, he learned obedience. He listened under, he obeyed by the things, he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. God uses crosses. God uses crosses in our lives and suffering and difficulty. And why? He is wanting us to learn to be obedient slaves. Now, in America, slave is a bad term. And so you'll find that in the New Testament, although it uses the word slave 120 times, Not very many of them are translated that because we identify racial slavery. But slavery in the New Testament wasn't predominantly racial. It was really about economics, and it was about status. And anybody could be a slave. It didn't matter what color you were, what age you are, what what gender you were. There was none of that going on like it was in our day. Slavery was about one-third or one-half of the entire population was a slave. And Paul says... What marks a slave is obedience. But will you do it when it isn't easy in my absence? Will you do it when it costs you something? Because the emphasis is the question. See, how far will you take it? Now, the example, obviously, that he just gave to them when he exhorts them in verse 12 to do it in his absence is chapter 2 and verse 8. And he says... Well, how far did the ultimate God-slave, Jesus, take it? Well, he did it obedient unto death. Oh, but not just death. Death on a cross. In chapter 2, in verse 30, Epaphroditus is mentioned. In chapter 2, in verse 25, Uh, Paul talks about him in length. He's the only person that was associated with Paul in all of his writings, even the long list of Romans 16 at the end, that he mentions by name that was in a gospel associate with him who gets five titles of commendation. He's the only one that gets this high praise. And what we find out about Paphroditus is why he was so, I said, great in Paul's eyes, was that he exemplified this pattern So what you find is, here's the main model, Jesus 2, 5 through 11. And in our section that we read tonight, 19 through 30, are two examples of two people that lived out the Christian slave life just like Jesus and just like Paul. The one is Timothy, the second is Epaphroditus. And so when he asked them, how far will you obey he wants to know will you take it as far as Jesus will because Jesus was obedient to eight unto death even a cross death the only place in the entire New Testament that uses the phrase with the exact Greek words unto death is 28 and 230 Epaphroditus is just like Jesus because in 230 it says Paul says well he was verse 27 he was near to death that's not the exact phrase in chapter two and verse 30, it reads, for he nearly died. In other words, how long, how far did he take his obedience? Well, he obeyed and did gospel work, putting the interest of others above himself. How far would he do that? Unto death. Mechra, Thana, it's the only two places. And I don't think it's an accident, because here's what Paul wants us to see. When you look at Timothy in this text, when you look at Epaphroditus, this is what I want you to do in your church. Because later on in chapter 4, Yodiki and Syntyche, he's going to have to talk to these two ladies, and they're having problems, even though they've been partners in the gospel with him a long time. But here's what they don't get. They're not able to resolve their problems. Why? Because they can't put the other's interest above their own. You see, the cross of Jesus is not to be relegated to something that happened in the past that changes way up in the future, our eternal life. It is that, but it is more than that. The cross of Jesus and dying on the cross is the model about how that we should live our lives. It's an identity marker. It's who we are. So the question for you tonight is, how far would you take it? If you find out from Scripture that you're a slave of Christ, how long, how far would you take the obedience? Will you be obedient this week when everyone's looking and when no one's looking? Will you live the slave's life? Will you give, Jesus, say, Jesus, I know I have rights and I could be so angry at how they're treating me, but I give up those rights because I'm doing it for the interest of the gospel. Will, when suffering comes into my life, will I listen under? Will I really hear what God has to say and still obey? Are you obedient if it costs you? What if obedience turns out to be a minus instead of a plus? What if obedience is not popular and acceptable at school? What if obedience puts your job on the line? What if obedience loses a friendship, breaks a family tie? What if obedience, like Abraham, doesn't even at times make any sense? What if it costs you, your job, your friend, your family member? But go a step further. What if it costs you your life well how far did Jesus take it well he wasn't just to death watch but it was a kind of death see it was a cross death and I think that that phrase means a lot of things can I tell you it means physical the physical he it died a cross death torturous painful there is no agony unlike, that is like it in the first century world It does mean that for sure. It certainly must mean the spiritual agony part of it because that's the greatest part of it, wasn't it? That he took our sins and God's wrath and judgment was upon him to pay for and atone for our sins. It is that. But in the context, I think there's another application do you understand the social ramifications of crucifixion? Because here's what he's saying. Slaves are low. Nobody wants us. In fact, the, the oxymoron, the ironic thing is Paul and Timothy. Timothy's name in Greek means honor, but he's identifying himself as shameful. My name means honor, Timothy, but I am a slave. See how, see how the Bible does that? You can only accept those terms when you're putting the interest of God and others above yourself. But the shame of the cross when Jesus was crucified is maybe a few feet off the ground higher than you. If you're standing here, Jesus might have been two or three feet higher than you. He was low enough to spit on. He was put on the side of a road that was heavily trafficked. It wasn't off somewhere where you had to get to him. You would just naturally coming into town, walk by where he was crucified. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you are going, you'll be able to see the place of the skull. I'm sure Pastor Dave won't let you miss that one. But when you're crucified, it's humiliating. Have you ever read Hebrews 12 too? Remember? He, what? Despised the shame. That's what it says. He was on the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame What was the shame? On the cross, you were naked, which was an embarrassment, a total embarrassment. The shame of the cross is failed messiahs are crucified. There were people who claimed to be what Jesus claimed, the Christ before him, and there are people named after him. And when you fail to lead the military coup and overcome the Roman oppression And you get crucified. Everybody knew, oh, that was a joke. That's a hoax. He didn't, he wasn't the real McCoy. It's the social shame of it. You are naked. You are weak. You are a failure. People come by and spit on you. You know that unless someone intervenes, your body will be dumped in a grave with all the other people that are crucified on the same day that you are with no markers. In every way possible, you are shamed socially. And the people that declared their loyalty to you, Peter, above all, Jesus, I would die for you. Don't even show up. Not to mention the religious leaders where everybody wants their honor and acceptance. Give him none. That kind of obedience is what Paul's asking. So when you perhaps lose your citizenship in Philippi and they start mocking you and they start putting pressure on you and now they won't come to your marketplace and and buy your food and eat from you and you start wondering, can I take care of my family and my children? How am I gonna make it here? And you're ridiculed and outcast. See, Paul wants to know, will you take it that far? Will you obey that much? And so he says, Epaphroditus risked his life It's an interesting word. It means this. It means to actually gamble. It means to consider the cost and to expose yourself to danger on purpose because it's worth the risk. Today we call it high stakes rolling. It was used of merchants who would take trips on the sea knowing that the storms were coming, but they could make so money, much money if they could just make it to the other side. And so they risked it because they thought it was worth it. It's about a fighter who puts himself in arena knowing that he may be killed ultimately, but to him it's worth the risk. It Eventually, in the second century became a church group of people called the Parabolani who were known for risk-taking and going places where people had diseases and sickness to nurse them back to health, and if they died, they would bury them. They were the riskers. It was actually a church group. Where is that? Where is it? Because those are people who see themselves as slaves. It's the only way that you can endure the suffering. It's the only way that you can risk. It's the only way that you can put the interest of others Above yourselves, when you see yourself as Jesus saw himself. But that wasn't all. Timothy was also an example. And if you'll see it in the text with me before we close. In verse 19, which ends and begins the paragraph with hope. And in between, it tells you what gave hope. I have no one like him. No one has the same soul as I do. No one is practicing Christianity. And by the way, Paul... And Timothy slaves. Timothy was the disciple. Paul trained him in Jesus like slavery. What that meant, he was his disciple. And what if discipleship was this the slave of Christ talking to another slave and telling him how to do it better? What if that was discipleship? And here he says, Timothy is a slave. And he's willing to get, do all the things that slaves do. In fact, he wants them to know just how much. Look at chapter 2 and verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father... He has served with me in the gospel. And the word slur, served is not the word used all throughout this book. All th- no, it's not the served normal term. It is the word he has slaved with me in the gospel. Dulos. it's the same one. And what he wants you to know, see, this is what marks Timothy. This is what marks Epaphroditus. And this is why I send them to you because when you see them, they are stand-ins for me. I'm the one modeling and did model for you what it meant to be a slave and have that mentality, put the interest of others better than yourself. And when you look at Timothy slaving with me, you look at Epaphroditus who became obedient to the point where he would give his life and suffer death. See, that's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of commitment that's going to change the world. And so Acts tells us that these people have turned the world upside down and have come here because they lived a life in a mentality that was unlike anyone else in their day, and they were willing to live it no matter what it would cost. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be like Christ. In fact, Paul wants to say one more thing in chapter three and verse 10. He says, it's a fellowship. That's what churches are. We're a fellowship of slaves. That I may know him, And the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, which is the tool for what? Becoming like him. Not just in his life, what? In his death. See, I want to take it as far as he did. Oh, can you imagine? No, don't answer. How many wives tonight would say, you know what? My husband let me tell you about him. Here's the words, and like Christian and Jesus. What are all the words? I mean, here's what marks my husband. You know what marks him? Oh, you know the first thing? Slave. Oh, that's his mentality. He's always putting the interests of me and our kids above him. He always is. I mean, the guy even vacuums and dusts and tries to make food. I do at our house, I am really good at cereal. But that's imagine if if that was what our kids grew up and saying, look at the my parents. Oh, look how people do this to them and talk about them and look how they, but you know what? I never hear them mock people or ridicule people. I never hear that. You know why? They're slaves. They have that mentality. They're always looking for the interests of others to put it above themselves. They're willing to take it to lengths. They're willing to sacrifice. What if that's what marked our relationships at home? What if it marked our relationship here when you had a disagreement or something didn't you like at church? What if you always put the interests and the agendas of others above yourself? What if that is how it worked? Now, see, it's possible, and I'll close with it. It is possible that you could try to act like a slave on the outside but not be one on the inside. Let me close with this example. You know the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and he tells about two prodigals. One is the younger son who lives riotous living and squanders all the money that his inheritance would allow him. He comes home, they have a party, they they kill the fatted calf, and everybody's happy except the elder son. His dad comes out because the elder son, once the party is going, he finds out he's not interested. And here's why he's not interested. Because he was only a slave on the outside. He never had the love. He never had the desire. He really wasn't putting the interest of everyone above himself. It was all about him in the end. And you know what he says to his dad? That your son, he doesn't call him by his brother's name, your son, your son, He's gone off and done all this. He comes home the first day and he, look at you, give him all this. You never did a fatted calf for me. He goes this, and even though I have served you all these years, and you know what the word is? Slavery, same one in 222. I have slaved for you. I've been your slave. I obeyed. I obeyed all these years. What have you ever done for me? You know what his problem was? He wasn't a slave on the inside. He didn't have like souls. He didn't have the heart of Jesus. It was a performance for what he could get his own way. We don't want to be that slave. We want to be slaves like Jesus, like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus. We want to genuinely be that person. Not do slave things, be slaves of Jesus. Who are you tonight? Who is Jesus? Slave. The question is, will we be like him? Let's pray. Oh Father, help us. See, no one is a solo slave. Paul made Timothy one, and Paul helped Epaphroditus to be one. He wanted to help the Philippians to be slaves. See, we need to be in small groups and D groups. You know why? Because we can't be solo slaves. We can't do it on our own. We need to follow the model, the pattern. We need someone to help us who's gone down this road. We need to know how to handle the difficulties and the sufferings. We, learn, we have to learn to put to death self. It's the greatest death of all. To be a slave like you, Master, is a daily dying, a daily Daily fight and struggle to put the interest of others above ourselves. Paul talked like it at the beginning, he acted like it, he, he showed it, he did it when it involved incredible loss and suffering. But it's who he was. Father, it is our prayer tonight that by your grace and for your glory, that we would see that as our identity. Oh, we're more than that, but not less. And, Father, that you, by your grace, would help us and to help each other to live it out, that the world might see through that who the true master of all is, the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.